Welcome truth seekers all across the fruited plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you civics made simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Hey, all right. Hey guys, how are you? Um, this is Kim Anderson coming to you live from Central Florida. Um, and I'm excited about the lesson that we're gonna be talking about today. It's called As Good As It Gets. And for those of you that have been following us, we've been using the Alpha Omega Civic Series um, as sort of a backdrop for our lessons. And so we're going to go today to, we are officially in book two in, um, in our series and we're continuing on. We're moving forward from the constitutional convention and federalists and anti-federalists. And we're moving to a section that is entitled as good as it gets. And what I want to do in this lesson is introduce you to some founding fathers that you may not have heard of, but I want to just give you sort of an idea of what was going on. We're, we're, we're post Articles of Confederation moving towards the Continental, um, the Constitutional Congress and the actual enactment of the Constitution as we come into this lesson. And so um, as we do um, this lesson, and I've got my book on my lap and I'm sitting on a picnic table. So you guys just have to bear with me as we sort of pull this together today. And I'm holding my phone. So, you know, get excited. Um, but what we find we found here is that um, the states are, are once again realizing that the Articles of Confederation just do not have enough teeth. Um, it was a great idea. It was a great start to what would become the Constitution, but the states were still operating as autonomous units. Like they didn't even really trust each other. And states' rights and states' laws were so strong that they were very, very fearful of a central government that would be strong, that would take away states' rights because they felt like they might end up back with a monarchy. And that was the very, very last thing that the leaders and the delegates of the states wanted to happen. They fought so hard. They fought a war. They did not want to go back to that style of government, nor did they want to slip. So they were really, really strong in their belief for states' rights. And so um, as it was moving, there was a call for a convention in... Um, in Annapolis, Maryland. Now, the states being fearful of the potential for a really strong um, central government, like they they needed, they knew they needed to send like full delegations, right, to um, to be able to vote on and enact whatever came out of the convention in Annapolis. Well, states were really funny. So there was only three states: one, two, three, three states: Delaware, New Jersey, and Virginia. That's com that sent a complete delegation. Everybody else like sent two people knowing that those two people couldn't vote. So they were like, we're kind of supporting you, but then we're kind of not going to support this. And so, um, yeah, right. So like only three states could ratify something. And guess what? Nothing was going to happen. So anyway, so they basically sat around and talked about stuff, knowing that they couldn't vote on anything at that particular time. And so what ended up happening is that they, they did. They said, OK, well, since we're here. Those of us that are here in Annapolis, 
let's get together and let's talk about and hash out some of the things that we want to discuss going forward, knowing that the articles are going to have to be abolished, changed, updated. Something was going to happen because the articles of Confederation just weren't working. And so interestingly enough, um, what would become a constitutional government was initially suggested way back in 1754 by the founder, I won't say the founder, but well known for his activity and being um, key and essential in the city of brotherly love was Benjamin Franklin. He actually suggested it. Um, it was a much younger Franklin and a much younger, greener plan about representative government um, way back in 1754. And it was voted down like nobody wanted to talk about it. They were like, yeah, no, we don't we don't want that. Um, he brought the idea back again in 1775 um, when the articles were being developed and it was still a little bit too radical for people to latch on to. And so after the articles were done and the folks started realizing that we need something else, um, Franklin then presented the idea through his friend John Dickinson. And John Dickinson was at that conference in Annapolis and he became sort of the acknowledged spokesperson, but he was carrying at that point Franklin's plan. Um, and John Dickinson, oops, excuse me, my, my papers are moving around. I'm sorry. I think I'm back. John Dickinson became known as the penman of the revolution. Um, he had been a strong advocate in working with Franklin um, and he had actually helped develop the Articles of Confederation. Um, and one key thing about Dickinson is that he linked, um, he was sort of the old guard, but he was sort of in the middle, younger than Franklin, but he was able to bring the young guard on board. So he was a voice of reason in both camps. The new upstart young generations respected him as well as the old guard. And so Dickinson was, I mean, he was really, really, um, an influential leader and he, he held both the presidency of Pennsylvania. Can you imagine like a state having a president Isn't that crazy? Um, and the governorship of Delaware. That's just how good he was. He led two states during this time. Isn't that something? And so, um, but he was, he, but he wanted a strong central government. The other person that I want to highlight for you today is James Madison. He was considered of the new guard, the young generations, the upstarts, but he had great influence because he had served with Jefferson. Now, as these camps are moving forward, you kind of want to be known that you were either on the camp of Jefferson, the, the great Virginian, or George Washington, the other great Virginian, right? So as your pedigree in, in the political um, realms were going forward, you wanted to have come from one of these camps, meaning, you know, I've served um, the leaders, the, 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 the true founding fathers, and now we want to move this, this forward. And so Madison was of um, the Jeffersonian camp, if we could put it that way. Um, but he was also the younger generation. And then there was Edmund Randolph, who served in the Washington camp. Now, this guy is, was amazing. He was 23 years old um, and he would later serve in Washington's camp. But he was a delegate, a Virginian delegate at the Annapolis Convention at 23. Can you imagine? Like, what were you doing at 23? Um, and he would later go on to serve in the Continental Congress and to be governor of the state of Virginia. Isn't that awesome? And then there's Alexander Hamilton. Um, Hamilton was also of the Washington camp, um, but he was also a lawyer and knew 
that they needed a stronger federal government for um, taxation purposes. Like they needed to be able to collect from the states, which was the the issue in this in this gathering in Annapolis that actually got Washington to come because he was not going to come at that point. He was going to retire and not really be a part of everything anymore. He had already given so much. But it was that issue that the that believe it or not, that the military get paid, that those that were that had signed up, that they get paid. And that had been Washington's one of his key um, issues was that the men that served him, that they weren't able to get paid because the federal government at that point could not tax the states or they could. But the states could ignore it and they would just go, you know what? Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think we want to do that. And so um, those men that had served were out. And so that was a key issue for Washington, which brought him back to the table, which if George Washington called and said, hey, I'm coming to the meeting. Guess what? Now the meeting is really, really important. And so um, it helped galvanize what they were doing by having Washington be present. And so um, he agreed to come and be like a provisional delegate from the state of Virginia. And so as they continue to hash this meeting out, what ended up really happening was that they begin to see the need for um, some real change. As Even though they couldn't vote um, as the United States, those 13 states, they saw the need for real change. And what they did, they set in motion for, um, in 1787, a meeting in Philadelphia. Now, you know, good things start to happen when they gather in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And they agreed to have the constant the constitutional congress where they met that summer of 1787 and hashed out what we now call the united states constitution so just a little bridge um lesson here our next lesson is going to be on the peaceful transfer of power we like that we like that so um guys this has been kim anderson this is this was just a nice lesson don't you like that it was nice and quick and just you know some thoughts about what was going on and how we got to that Constitutional Congress. And we are happy to be bringing you um, civics for all ages. God bless, guys. Love you. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me, for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.